Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. For the past eight days, the Jewish community has been observing and celebrating the holiday known as Hanukkah. Hanukkah commemorates the rededication of the Second Temple in Jerusalem during the second century of the Common Era. It begins each and every year on the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev. But as longtime listeners of the show know, Hebrew months do not occur um, in the same way with consistency uh, in relationship to the secular calendar. What we do know is that Hebrew months always occur at the same season of the year. This holiday is well known to the non-Jewish population and to many of you as listeners due to its association with Christmas. Both usually occur in December and both occur on the 25th day of the month, either Kislev in the Hebrew calendar or December in the secular calendar. And both are uh, associated with gift giving. However, that's a pretty simplistic overview of the holiday of Hanukkah. And so this year, I want to take a more in-depth look at the nature of this holiday, which is so well known. With me this morning is Rabbi Eric Wisnia, who was the rabbi of Congregation Beth Chaim in Princeton Junction, New Jersey, in the United States, for 42 years. He is now Rabbi Emeritus of the same congregation, and he is uh, interested in the U.S. Civil War and completing a book on the nature of slavery in the American South in the antebellum period, and especially focusing on some of the religious responses to slavery. Uh, Rabbi uh, Wisnia, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garten. It is an honor to speak to you and my friends in Canada. Well, we are pleased to have you with us. And I know that you wanted to spend some time this morning debunking some of the mythology around the holiday of Hanukkah. Yes, thank you. Uh, You know, Hanukkah, I agree with you, is a a very important Jewish event. Um, As you mentioned, most people call it the Jewish Christmas. Um, And when I was uh, a little baby rabbi, when I was first ordained and I was in Toledo, Ohio, I remember speaking to a class um, in public school and telling them that uh, Hanukkah is not the, uh, the Jewish Christmas, 
uh, and then Hanukkah begins with a ch, so that's the Hebrew sound, <laughs> and the correct pronunciation is Hanukkah. And one of the little Christian boys in the back of the class raised his hand and said, "But Rabbi, Christmas begins with a ch. Do we have to call it Christmas now?" <laughs> No, you don't. They have nothing in common except they occur right around the winter solstice. Hanukkah is a real so, event. So perhaps for our yeah. listeners, you might want to remind them of what the winter solstice is as you raise the uh, flag about it. Yes. It is, uh, of course, the shortest day of the year. Um, and the, the Greek world, the pagan world, was convinced that the sun was going out. So that in the pagan world, they would often light candles and have um, and have fertility rites to uh, convince the sun to come back. So the midwinter solstice was a very important event in the ancient world. And because it was an important event, that's precisely why Judah the Maccabee picked it for Hanukkah. It was being celebrated by the Greeks. Now, how did the Greeks come into wait, wait a minute. Well, when you say never... when you say Judah Maccabee picked it, usually the story indicates, or as we tell the story each year, that it wasn't a choice of the date, but that some great miracle occurred exactly on that date. Are you suggesting otherwise? I am suggesting otherwise. I'm saying there is a miracle of Hanukkah, but the miracle is that a nation that totally was willing to assimilate and submit to Greek culture was turned around by the Maccabees and their revolt, and that they finally stood up and said, hey, let's be proud of who we are, and let's let them be who they are. That's the miracle. And yes, Judah and his soldiers when they recaptured Jerusalem from the Seleucid Greek Empire under Antiochus IV, they, they chose the date of rededication, and they set that eight-day festival to begin on the day of the pagan festival, because that was when the pagans, three years before, had set up a statue of Zeus in our temple. Wow, that's a, that's a lot... Uh, to assimilate quickly. So let me just play it back for you, and you can help me if I've missed something. Your, okay. Um, so what you've uh, indicated for our listeners... Why, why don't you start with Antiochus? Good. Setting up the statue of Zeus in our temple. Good. So we have this uh, guy named Antiochus IV, who is the... Uh, ruler of uh, Greek Syria, that part of Alexander's empire that was known as the Seleucids, correct? Right. And in his uh, realm was the land of Israel slash Judea. Right. And Antiochus, being a good, although he lived in Syria, his culture was the Hellenistic culture of Alexander the Great. They spoke Greek. They dressed Greek. They're often called Greeks, although they are Syrians. It was a Syrian empire based in Damascus. But yet it was Greek culture. 
And Antiochus, who was uh, a humble man, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means uh, Antiochus God on Earth. Uh, Antiochus decided he wanted everybody in his little empire to be just like him. Why can't we get along? Let's all be the same, just like me. So since I worship Zeus, I want everybody to worship Zeus. And oh yes, when you make a big statue of Zeus, you've got to put a face on that statue. So guess whose face was put on the statue of Zeus? Antiochus. Antiochus, of course. <laughs> so it was a statue of Zeus with his face on it. And he wanted one of those in April in his little empire. He not only that, he found that the Jews were lazy. They were taking a day off every week. And he was losing tax money. And, and we and we today to, would call that day off Shabbat. <laughs> he asked, why do the Jews do that? And was told, well, it's in their special book that they have to take a day off for their God. Antiochus felt he was God, so he tried to abolish the Jewish Shabbat. And then he heard the Jews were speaking a strange language. It was Hebrew. It wasn't his language. So he abolished the study of Hebrew. And then, you know, the Greeks worshipped the male form. So the Zeus was often pictured naked, of course. And they did their calisthenics naked. And the first thing they noticed about the Jews was that the Jewish boys were circumcised. Antiochus thought this was hideous. And he said, why did they do that? He found out it was in their special book. He said, let's get rid of this book. I don't want the Jews studying this book anymore. So I guess Antiochus saw Jewish practices, uh, studying Hebrew, reading the Torah, observing Shabbat, observing the mitzvah of circumcision as a um, rebellion against his divinity. Would you? Would that be a fair characterization of it? I think that's exactly right. Yes, Rabbi, I think you've really, that, that's exactly the point. He wanted homogeneity in his empire. And the Jews seemed to be the thorn in his side. Finally, he managed to appoint a high priest, a Jewish high priest, who paid Antiochus for the office, and Antiochus said, good, as soon as you get in, I want a statue of Zeus put in your temple. And this guy had no problem. He said, sure, what do I care? Put it in. Now, I wish I could tell you that all the Jews immediately rose up in rebellion, but that's not the case. Most of the Jews said, hey, I don't go to services in the temple anyway, who cares? Most of the Jews said, oh, good, we don't have to learn Hebrew, we don't have to do Shabbat, we don't have to do all this Jewish stuff. Who cares? Why can't we all be the same just like King Antiochus wants? Of course there so was. So, so for the Jewish population, Rabbi, it was not only that they were um, minimally uh, religious, but there was an economic benefit to them to be seen as part of the Greek uh, uh, culture. That you know, the king had his list of friends, and all of the, he used the king's roads 
with special tax, without paying a special tax, you had to be approved by the king to be accepted to the, the Greek high schools, the gymnasia. Of course, you had to not be circumcised. And I, I hate to tell you, there were even Jewish parents who took their children to have a, a ceremony, a, a ritual performed to reform my foreskin. I can't even begin to think about it, Ambrose. That is. I, I've never understood how that worked medically. Uh, and I, and I still to... don't want to think about it. So, so we have, anyway. so in our uh, drama, we have Antiochus, uh, the Greek Syrian king, who wants to establish the role of um, his divinity uh, upon all the nations under his uh, rulership in his kingdom. And we have a group of Jews who, for a variety of religious reasons and for political reasons and for economic reasons, do not uh, revolt and reject his hegemony. But then we have the hero of our story, Judah the Maccabee, who seems to not be in accordance with any of this. Well, Judah was not from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, where our temple was, it seems that people kind of went right along with this Hellenization plan. Judah's father was a local priest in a little town called Modi'in, about 10 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem. But of course, in those days, the superhighway didn't exist. And up and down the hills, it was more like a day and a half walk. So it was pretty far from Jerusalem. It was a, a way out. When on the 25th of Kitla, the day of the winter solstice, when the Greeks were celebrating the festival of lights, the festival of the solstice, Antiochus had ordered a statue of Zeus set up in the town square at Modi'in. Matityahu, Mattathias, and his five farm boys came in the downtown Modi'in, saw their statue, saw a Jew starting to bow down to it, and they had a fit. They proclaimed a revolution. Um, an old man and five boys. Now, mind you, these were not yeshiva boys. These were like Hulk Hogan. They were strong. And Judah, it's rumored that his right hand was so powerful that if he hit you on the head, he would drive you into the ground like a hammer. So they called him Judah the Hammer, Judah Ha Maccabee. Now, all of this, all of this is very interesting, Rabbi, and it's somewhat at odds with the story that is usually told to children in the Jewish world, or perhaps uh, cartoons are made of the story. Is there some sort of historical record? Of this, of these events that allow us to have some certainty, uh, or as much as historical certainty as we can uh, concerning these events. Yes, there are two different accounts. They're called the first book of Maccabees and the second book of Maccabees. And for our Catholic friends. They're included in the uh, in the Catholic Bible in the Old Testament. The, our Protestant and Jewish friends 
don't include them as part of the Old Testament. They call them apocrypha, historical books that are holy but not divine. And these two accounts of Hanukkah were written contemporaneously. With One is the account of the Maccabees themselves, and the other is a history of uh, a Jew by the name of Jason, a Hellenistic Jew who lived in Alexandria. And these two stories are found in the first book of Maccabees, and I uh, encourage our uh, listeners, if they want to look it up, to go to 1 Maccabees chapter 4 and read verse 52 to 59. Uh, do, do we have time for me to read that? Sure, we definitely do. Okay, let me read that. Quotes. Early in the morning of the 25th day of the ninth month, which is Kislev, and then it gives a year of the Seleucid Empire, but we think it was the year 168 BCE, they rose and offered sacrifice as the law directs, excuse me, 165 BCE, on the new altar of burnt offering which the soldiers had built. At the very season and on the very day that the Greeks had profaned it, it was rededicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. All the Jewish people fell on their faces and worshipped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness. They offered a sacrifice of deliverance and praise. They decorated the front of the temple with golden crowns and small shields. They restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and furnished them with doors. There was very great gladness among the people, and the Zeus was removed. Then Judah and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with gladness and joy for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month of Kislev. Now, that, of course, doesn't tell us why eight days. Well, it not only doesn't tell us about eight days, but I don't hear anything about candles or gift giving. <laughs> or a bottle of oil lasting for eight days. Exactly. So now, those, those are no, notably absent. So the contemporaneous account of this uh tells us of a victory celebration, a Hanukkah Tabayit, a rededication of the temple, but seems to be missing a significant uh, aspect of the holiday that is uh, unbelievably important today. So how did we get from 168 or 165 with no candles and no potato pancakes uh, and no oil to where we are today. The Maccabees under Judah fought and won. The youngest, the, the older four Maccabee boys died in the war with against the Greeks. The youngest one, Shimon, actually made an alliance with the Romans. And with Roman help, we defeated Antiochus and the Greeks. Some years later, the Maccabees kings, those who descended from Shimon, the last Maccabee brother, 
they actually became Hellenistic. They had fought a war saying, stand up and be proud of who you were, who you are, be proud to be Jewish. But within a hundred years, they had sold out and everything that Judah and the boys fought for, they, they seemed to have sold out. So that the rabbis began to say, hey, these Maccabees are just as bad as Antiochus. They're not helping us be Jewish. They're making us more Greek. So that they began to look for a reason to see Hanukkah, uh, which was a, a dedicate yourself to being Jewish, but to dilute the Maccabee victory. And what they did was they came up with this idea of a bottle of oil story. You know, how God made a miracle. The bottle of oil lasted for eight days instead of one when they lit the, the holy light. Now, the, the rabbis who were um, writing uh, hundreds of years after the Maccabean revolt. Um, right, in the Talmud. In the, the Talmud, Talmud, which is both a legal yeah, document. Right. Um, so they're not thrilled with how that story really ends up. Um, because it seems to be uh, more from a great victory against assimilation and a great victory against homogenization into um, a king and a high priest who were descendants from the Maccabees who, for great political reasons, uh, go back to that Hellenizing. Um, and is that why they don't include the book of Maccabees in the official Hebrew Bible? I'm sure. I'm sure. In fact, we, 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 don't even, we forget the whole story after they take Jerusalem in 165. The war continued for 20 years after that. But we never talk about that. Because the Maccabees, Judah had the good graces to get killed after that by the Greeks. And he died a hero. The Jews love him. He fought against assimilation, and he died fighting. The rest of the Maccabees, we don't even tell the story that the, la the last famous Maccabee king, Stephen, I'm sure you know who it is, but it was Herod, King Herod the Great. Now, people don't even know he was really a Jew, but he really was a very simple Maccabee Jew. That'll show you how he was Roman and Greek. They had totally sold out. Well, you know, so some, some of our listeners will remember that Herod's ancestors are Idumeans. And during the initial celebration of the return to a more uh, particularistic Judaism, um, there is a outreach to convert um, people who are not Jewish and the Idumeans are converted. Um, right. And so Herod's ancestors were converted Jews, uh, which may have led Rome to want to put him in that position of king of Judea. Um, so how did the rabbis, let's get back to those uh, wonderful rabbis, how, what story did they create? How did it work that they told the Jews to kind of ignore uh, 
the celebration of re, um, of uh, rededication, and they created this myth of a miracle. Well, the the story they told was, of course, the war for three years, ending with Judah taking Jerusalem and relighting the lights, the Ne'er Tami, the eternal light, which was over the ark in our temple in Jerusalem. And they invented a little story. Uh, it's in our Talmud, um, and that's the only time it's, uh, it's ever put in, uh, in the rabbinic, uh, and it's about 600, 700 years after Hanukkah. And what they're saying is that they went to light the uh, oil lamp of the eternal light, and there was only enough oil for one day, and miraculously it lasted for eight days. Of course, if you read the book of Maccabees, it says they celebrated for eight days because it was like Sukkot, the festival of Sukkot, which they celebrated for seven days, and then Simchat Torah, the eighth day they had. Which, according so, to the book of Maccabees, um, the number eight emerges, as you say, um, because of Sukkot, which, according to the book, was not celebrated that year. Due to the war, they were unable to come to the temple to celebrate Sukkot. So in replacement for it, um, they had this celebration of rededication, which leads us to believe that perhaps in the first few years, Hanukkah was celebrated uh, in the fall, not the winter. Right. And I the dedication was linked to the 20, 25th of Kislev because that's the day Antiochus had profaned the temple. Aha! That was the day that Antiochus always, and, and it was very, and the Greeks were celebrating their festival at the same time. So, and, and that's where I think the Jewish gift comes in, Rabbi. That because we Jews have seen our Christian friends getting gifts on, the, on, their, on Christmas, we just decided, hey, let's get kids on our holiday too. So I know, I know, Rabbi, uh, that you wanted to make a segue as we come to the close of our program and bring Hanukkah, which we've discussed in a historical sense, uh, to a more contemporary uh, meaning. Yes, thank you, and that is that, um, you know, very often I am told that uh, America and Canada, United States and Canada, um, uh, are, are great melting pot nations. And I always kind of hated that because my mother, who used to uh, eat macrobiotic food, she actually had a melting pot. <laughs> and she would always invite me to uh, have lunch with her and she would put all her nice vegetables into this melting pot and she would melt them down into a brown goo. And then she would say, oh, eat this, Eric, it's wonderful. And I looked at it and I said, oh my God, no. So I don't like the, 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 the metaphor of a melting pot. I like the, mel the metaphor of a salad bowl. I think America, United States and Canada should be salad bowls. By that I mean, when I take my salad bowl, I slice up several kinds of lettuce, tomatoes, onions, scallions, mushrooms, green pepper, red pepper, cucumber. I'm not going to go on, but I put a lot of different things in it. 
And then I mix it all up with a great blue cheese dressing and I eat it and I enjoy my salad and I taste all the different textures and I appreciate them and I like the tastes, but it's one big salad. Well, that's really the point of Hanukkah. Antiochus wanted us all to be the same. We don't have to be the same. That would be boring. It's good that we're different. It's good that I'm me and you're you and we don't have to be the same. We can appreciate those differences. We all live together in our national salad bowl because we're one big salad. And I, suppo and, and I suppose that what we want to take away is that as one big salad, there needs to be a respect for each of the individual components, though they are different. Sometimes that gets lost uh, in the cucumber wanting to say it's more important or the romaine lettuce <laughs> wanting to say it's more important or the tomato or even the blue cheese. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Eric Wisnia, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Beit Chaim in Princeton Junction, New Jersey, for helping us to understand Hanukkah in a more adult way. Uh, for those who are observing Hanukkah, a happy Hanukkah, uh, Chag Hanukkah Sameach. For those who are observing Christmas or other winter solstice uh, festivals, we wish you the best of the new year. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can find a podcast of our show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. Shalom and have a good day.